0: show, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Myself, we're going to talk about the decommitment of Malik Grinnell, what that means. Pretty normal to have big-time recruits decommit when there's coaching change. Uh, It's happening all over the country, but we do want to break down kind of where Florida is recruiting-wise. We're also talking about the hiring of Corey McRae, who will be the associate head coach. Um, Really elite recruiter, great experience, um, that he's going to add to the staff, and then we will do our year interview of all the underclassmen. So, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, before we get into um, the usually very well-received year in review podcast, doesn't even matter in our four years of doing these how the season went. People really enjoy these, which thank you all for listening, especially when it's a tough one like this year. This year will be the one that puts it to the test, I think. Um, But uh, Eric... Couple things happen. Um, one, I love the NCAA rule that players can be released from their letter of intent when a new coach comes. Uh, I think they should aggressively adopt that in all sports. Um, but it's a great rule in basketball. And Malik Renal uh, has made the decision to to be released from his letter of intent and reopen his recruitment. Uh, your thoughts on the Renal uh, decommitment?
1: I definitely love the rule, um, but there's definitely a sick part of me that also kinds kind of wish that, wishes that they like <laughs> that it wasn't a rule because then it would just be coaches having to essentially be like pressured into doing it, and then you would still see some of the coaches who are like, "No, I'm not letting you out," and those guys would show their ugly colors. Absolutely. And, uh, so th- there's always opportunities like that where I kind of wish that more coaches who uh, I don't really love how they operate would be um, forced into positions where people could could see that. But uh, no, it still was a situation like. When uh, even when it wasn't, you know, technically you had to let let players out, it was still most coaches did. I would be shocked if Florida wouldn't have let out, uh, you know, Malik renault But you know what, this is sadly one that's not uh, super surprising just because again, it's just, it's, it wasn't the staff that, that he committed to. And again, there's still, I, I, I guess, a chance he could still come to the Gators. I I don't hear great things on that end. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but again, it's completely reasonable that um, he and any of Florida's other kind of signees would, would take their opportunity to weigh their options and look elsewhere, see what happens and, and see if they want to ultimately be a Gator or not. I, I have no problem with uh with that, I mean, it's sad. I would absolutely love Renault. I would love all the guys that Florida signs to end up as Gators, um, but I just can't fault them for doing something that, I mean, I would, if, if anyone at any school had committed to a certain coach and that staff was no longer there, um, including the assistant that recruited him the most hard, I, I mean, if I was advising any player in any situation like that, I'd say like, yeah, you should probably go in the portal, weigh things from there. So um, not unexpected. I know some people were still freaking out, but they, you know, should have seen this one coming.
0: Yeah. Um, two things. Rob Duster said he thought with Renault in the class, Florida had probably the most underrated of the classes ranked 10 to 25. Um, mm-hmm. Just because Jalen, Jalen Reed is kind of like Renault is probably, he is like right at 25th and probably a top 20 player. Like if you watch video um, just because he's so ready right? And there are guys in 10 to 25 that might be in the Trey man mold where there's a little bit of an adjustment and that's fine. I mean, look at Trey now, but sometimes it can take a little time. Renau is so fundamentally sound. Um, he was probably going to start pretty quickly. Um, and then the other point Rob made is Jalen Reed is like a top 25 player that's it's ranked like 56th or whatever. So, <laughs> um, You know, just the ceiling for Jalen Reed is really high. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful. I think Jalen Reed. I tweeted out, um, and and I haven't been tweeting as much, so I guess maybe I just personally feel like I'm being a little more hot takey with the account, but I'm not trying to be. Um, In fact, I deleted one where I accused Gonzaga of choking. Um, But (laughs) I will say, (laughs) I will say that I do think Jalen Reed fits better with what Todd Golden will, will try to do than with what Mike White will try to do. And I'm hopeful that maybe that's why we haven't seen any movement on Reed. I'm not worried about Aberdeen from everything I hear.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. And again, I I'm really not trying to turn every conversation we have on this podcast or in writing or anywhere else kind of related to Florida basketball into like any level of just like bashing the former head coach on his way out. But if you're Jalen Reed and you commit to the Gators and Mike White is no longer there, like yes, it was relationships you had with with Mike White, but like what from a basketball standpoint would you say? Oh, I really like Florida, but now that Mike White's not there, oh, it's it's not going to work for me. I mean, it's not like there was a huge track record of go. developing NBA talent. It wasn't like they had a style of play that was particularly conducive to a Jalen Reed who was very unlike anyone that the Gators have had. I, I would say is like a six foot nine, six foot ten, ball handling, athletic. Like I guess, like you know can we talk, you know, Devin Robinson, I guess. I maybe, mean, maybe, and not, not, that that one's not a great comparison. I'm just off the top of it. So again, I just, I, I, while, while I completely understand it's like, yeah, there was a particular set of coaching staff or there was a particular coaching staff he committed to. Um, I, I know people love to say, Oh, they commit to institutions, but that's really more often what is not what happens. They commit to coaches and those coaches are not there. But, but again, it's just like from a pure basketball standpoint, I don't know how someone like a Jalen Reed could look at the last couple of years at Florida and say like, Oh man, like there was something going on basketball wise that I loved, and now that's no longer there. So I'm not coming to Florida. Um it's it's just like it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you again, the the sell now for Golden will be it's not like he's, you know, developed NBA players or um anything like that. But at the same time, I I think that there's there's reason why, you know, Golden should go into meeting him and and his kind of circle and and have some confidence because again, it's it's not like you're going from someone with this long history of developing top level players like that to the NBA. And now it's Todd golden coming in. um, That's, that's just not really the case. So I I hope the golden um, goes after it aggressively because I think Reed is fantastic. And uh, I think like you said, Neil, the fact that we haven't heard anything yet. I mean, it's one of those things that like, again, if I was advising some of these players, I'd be like, yeah, get, you know, get out of it and, and, and weigh your options. And like, so why he hasn't done that already, if he's, you know, going to, I, I don't know why he, why he wouldn't, to be honest. So uh, I can't, can't be a bad sign for the Gators. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. And by the way, a great point that Eric made about the way that some people might pitch negative recruiting. We know that there's a couple coaches in the sec that do it, um, you know, because people tell us that <laughs> Eric. <laughs> so like, it's not speculation, um, but you know, that worked against NATO for like one recruiting class, uh, and then it stopped working. Um, I in the ACC, I had an assistant at NC State tell me that you know they had heard that that was something that was used against Kevin Keats, uh, and that other teams were, were used against Herbert Hubert Davis a month ago. Um, it's not going to work against Hubert Davis for much longer, uh, <laughs> you know, so like. All you have to do is win, um, and if you win, eventually you're going to sign big players and they're going to go to the league. The other big move that Florida will make that kind of transitions that conversation perfectly is is the hiring of um, <clears throat> Corey McRae as uh, the assistant head coach. Uh, he will be the assistant head coach. He will not be the offensive coordinator, um, but I think uh, obviously brings a ton of coaching experience to the staff, Eric. Um, and, you know, I bring up experience first, really, actually speaking of Rob, because of the podcast we had with Rob, where like I don't want to say that Corey McRae, who's been at elite programs and gone to the final four as an assistant coach, is just a recruiter. Um, that would really kind of diminish what he's accomplished in the sport.
1: Yeah. I mean, for, for people who are listening for the first time, I mean, this is something where, um, me and Neil have never been a fan of taking the black assistants on coaching staffs and saying like, Oh, that must be the recruiter or, "Oh, this guy can only recruit. So sure as hell aren't going to start doing it with McRae. I mean, this is a guy that is, has roots with a very successful Atlanta Celtics, um, AAU program in Atlanta, um, which by the way, they offered a top 30 kid today who also, when saying that he got an offer from Florida pointed out that he's going to be running with, uh, Atlanta Celtics, which I thought yeah. was very interesting. You don't often hear uh, a player saying, uh, um, Oh, I got a, you know, an offer from this school. And, and by the way, I'm also going to play with, uh, you know, the AU program that one of the assistants who may have just offered me really built up from the ground up. So, um, he's got, he does have a reputation there, but, um, longtime sec assistant at Mississippi state. I, I think Ben Holland is, is really good. I'm kind of surprised that the pieces never fit together. But, um, one thing I just really love about McCray is he was a guy who worked with NBA players as a skill development coach before he got to, uh, um before he got into coaching at the division one level and and it's one of those things where it's like there's so many coaches who are like yeah i'm a developer coaching staffs that pride themselves on being a developer of players and like it's one of those things that i think so often it's like yeah you get a 18 year old on campus and he gets better from the time he's 18 to 22 or whatever and coaches are like you know i've i've said on this podcast before i do think the role of coaching is often overrated when it comes to player development and i know that's a hot take to some people but i've went into why i don't need to that now but like he worked with nba Players Who have millions of dollars on the line of if they can either shoot 33% from three or 35% from three, which for a wing in the NBA could be worth $12 million over three years. So like these, these NBA players do not mess around when it comes to who they want to work with. So the fact that he had NBA players coming to work with him um, I think speaks very highly about his ability, um, to develop players. And, um, Hey, if we want to look, you know, I, I know I said that I do think that, um, coaching is often overrated. I will, I will point out that, you know, Iverson Molinar, who we think is outstanding. One of the best players in the sec this year, um, was like right 200 and something then was a three-star, um, coming into Mississippi state. And, uh, Iverson Molinar himself credits McRae as his, is kind of his, his development guy. So, Um, and then also I saw an interview with Ben Howland, who he mentioned, he talked about how um, he really liked when McRae was on the scout, thought he did really good job with, with scouting. And I think that knowledge um, of the sec will be very helpful. So I I think a lot of people thought, Hey, it would be great with when golden gets hired, um, coming from the West coast to get someone with, kind of at big time sec experience. Um, and I, th- I think they just, you know, kind of nailed that one. Got, got a guy in McRae who, um, I love his sec experience. I love his ability, uh, or sorry, his experience as an NBA skills trainer. Um, I, I think this was a really good hire at least on the surface.
0: Yeah. Two things to add to what Eric's saying. Um, also the centerpiece of, uh, the final Hal and foul, final four team at UCLA Uh, as a recruiter, and also a team that Florida fans will be very familiar with, um, the team that played Florida in the Sweet 16 uh, and had the number one recruiting class against the Gators, uh, the Scotty Wilbekin and all those Gators uh, in the Sweet 16. That team had Jordan Adams, uh, Kyle Edgerson, and Shabazz Muhammad, who were all picked in the first round. Um, And so, uh, you know, a pretty good evaluator of talent, not just someone who can sell Uh, a school and then Ben Hallen credits him with uh, the getting Reggie Perry's signature. And remember the Hallen era might shake out a little bit differently uh, if there isn't the COVID year Um, that team started sec play. 0 and three ended up winning 12 of its final 15 games and then never got to go to the NCAA tournament. Um, But Robert, Robert, Robert Woodard and Reggie Perry that actually worked. um, We're, Pretty solid players, both um, guys that inked were inked by McCray, uh, and then Perry crediting McCray with quite a bit of his development. So I think, um, yeah, Florida nails it. I also has ties to Leonard Hamilton. Was it Chippewa Chippewa Junior College for a little while, which um, you know maybe Florida can break the vice grip that that Ham has on that place. Uh, who knows? But you know if, if Florida decides that they need some six foot 11 center that can shoot three pointers. Then, you know, Chipola seems to be where Leonard Hamilton's factory is located Um, when he doesn't get the guy from Montverde that's seven one and can shoot three pointers. So, um, you know, I like it. I thought it was a, a really good hire, you know, and you always know it's a big time hire when like blue bloods or close to blue blood people jump into your mentions and are like, Oh man, the Gators aren't messing around um and that's kind of been the national reception to uh the mccray hire.
1: yeah and i mean if you're anyone who's a hardcore basketball fan so you follow all the guys in the, the southeast when it comes to recruiting some of the guys that run the big high school events the au events um a lot of them were tweeting about era uh, about cory mccray so um i think that's says something um he's very well liked with some very important people um and that's big and I hate myself for doing this. Cause I just said, I didn't want to talk about McRae, just about recruiting, but there are a couple of recruiting notes that are maybe, Not maybe okay. note, maybe notable. Um, so Denzel Aberdeen's teammates, um, Riley Kugel, um, top 50 player um, wing talented score, you know, the long wing that we desperately know this team needs many of he did. He was committed to Mississippi state. Um, he, uh, McCray was his recruiter. He decommits. So I, I want to like, again, I've also joked on this podcast for a long time, but how people love the idea of package deals, two players going from the same high school to the same college team. People love talking about it. Anytime at Florida offers two guys from the same high school, people are like, Oh, it could be a package deal. Just look across college basketball. It's very rare for that to happen. So maybe not holding my breath for that one. But at the same time, it is a player who is, uh, you know, some people think is going to be a five star. Um, and uh, McRae was his recruiter. He decommitted from Mississippi State and he is uh, from Orlando. So definitely someone who I think the Gators should have some interest in. Um, Mississippi State also had a junior college player. Um, oh, I cannot count. I can't remember his name now. He was at Georgia um Raekwon Walton um so he was at Georgia for a couple of years and then he was one of the top players in JUCO this last year so he was committed to Mississippi State he's another like six foot six six foot seven kind of you know go, wing forward type um he had a very very good junior college year so that would be another player that I would be very interested in that um has ties to to McCray and had ties to uh or that were committed to Mississippi State who are you know probably he's probably weighing his option of what he wants to do next. But uh those are maybe some names to just uh just watch out for here with uh just in the, the, the quick aftermath of the McCray hiring.
0: Yeah. Another interesting name to watch and we will do a show on the portal. So I'm not going to dive too much into this or allow Eric to go down a rabbit hole with me uh on this, but Zeb Jackson has announced that he's transferring from Michigan, originally picked Michigan over Mississippi state and his, um, lead recruiter was Corey McRae. So if you get down into the rabbit hole uh, a little bit and you're like a Florida fan that thinks a four-star transfer point guard might be a good thing, Zeb um, Jackson is is in the portal and I'm sure uh, it's no coincidence that the reports are that Florida has reached out. Um, so there is that uh, little tidbit of information to pass along. It's time for year in review and I think the best way to start it is to go all the way back to the beginning and find out how badly Eric defeated me in over/under and other predictions.
1: So, first of all, I realize I said Raquan Walton; it's Jaquan Walton. So. Apologies there. um. So I was wrong there. Uh, Jaquan Walton. But uh, yeah, so for people who are just tuning in, which I know there are many of you who are into the golden era and care about Florida basketball again, um. shout out to you. It's good for you to be here. Shout out to the repairman's mom and shout out to Brian, who is the world's biggest John Horford fan. Yes. It's good to, good yes. to have all of you here. Um. But before the season, this is something we stole from an awesome Gators podcast called Gators Breakdown. Um, before the season, they always do um, kind of some over or uh, I think just like superlatives, um kind of s- some some over unders on things like sacks and um, rushing yards for different players. And um, I just think it makes for a great podcast every year. I look forward to that one. So I was like, hey, Neil, we need to rip off. Um, Gator Dave and, and Gators Breakdown and Will Miles, two of our two of our favorite guys and a podcast we really like. So um, the odds maker, which is me, um, sets these lines. Um, I have the opportunity to think about them a little bit because I make the questions. Neil responds to them live and uh, we make predictions for the year. And as you may remember if you listened or as you may guess if this is your first time listening um man this season did not at all turn out um as we expected it to so uh i'll, I'll try to go through this fairly quickly neil that we can laugh at ourselves where we were way off i'm actually just gonna spill it right away who won because it will become apparent <laughs> fairly quickly uh neil you beat me fairly fairly handedly uh um, oh, wow. there is one particular category where you just rinsed me and uh we'll get to that (laughs) one but just so you know neil was the victor there were no stakes established luckily for me maybe next year but uh (laughs) neil definitely won this one so just to go over some uh some of these pretty quickly um neil you can uh Jump in if you ever, you know, just, just interrupt me if you have any takes, but. uh, uh Sounds good. Of, <laughs> sounds good. One of the things, um you know, I set the uh, average possession length uh, over under of 75. I thought they'd be faster. You said slower. They were slower at 92nd. Oh boy. Ken Palm <laughs> defensive efficiency over under set at, oh man, it was set at 21st, Neil. um And oh. you thought it was going to be a little bit better than 21st. Oh. I thought it was going to be worse. So I did get that point. Florida's 79th. So that was one that uh, you know, we we again, we thought this was gonna be a very different season. Um, then the next question where uh, you know, I was I was wrong, um, quite wrong. Um, Ken Palm offensive efficiency. The over-under was set at 24th. I thought they were gonna be better than that. And you oh. thought they would be worse. You got that one. So they were 46. <laughs> so, Neil, you thought they'd be better defensively than they ended up. Oh. And I thought they'd be better offensively. Uh, we both look like, you know, do the dumber Gators podcasters. Um, uh, one thing that was pretty funny, Neil, uh, no point awarded. Uh, defensive rebound rate. Uh, I said it at one seventieth. We both thought it was going to be worse, and uh, they nearly <laughs> they nearly doubled that number. So good for us. Um, there was a few other ones where uh, we had all the same answers. Um, we thought that, uh, or you know, we thought Anthony DeRugy would lead the front court in three point makes. Um, ultimately, that was definitely right because of CJ Felder's injuries. Uh, we also thought that they were going to, we both had the over on 7.6, made three pointers per game. They're at 7.9. That was all volume based, um, not efficiency. Um, Patrick Baldwin Jr. points against the Gators, you at 16.5. You had the over, at the under. That was under. Um, you know, Mike White technical fouls over under one. I had to, I had to ask, did, did Mike White get a technical foul this year? That's when I couldn't remember and I could not find the answer. Did all you have a, do you remember all, that one, Neil? all square?
0: He got one. Okay.
1: okay. So um, I guess I actually got one more point than I thought I did. Cause I pushed and you said over one technical foul yeah. for Mike White. Okay. So I think you, I think I only lost seven to five instead of seven to four. Um, Let's see what else we had. So what we really, uh, what we really had. Uh, oh yeah. Here's a funny one. Um, who will lead Florida in three point percentage? Do you remember what, uh, what you guessed Neil?
0: Um, Man, did I guess Brandon McKissick? I hope so.
1: You did. And so did I. Yes! I think
0: <laughs> if memory serves, I thought we both
1: thought he would shoot like two and a half per game and shoot like yeah. 38 or 39% on like not volume. Instead we got higher volume and lower percentage. So Oof, people are just wondering why they listen
0: to us. Um, in this, well, we should tell people that he shot 24.3 percent so that they know how, how, bad oh, right. We were. <laughs> um, but here's,
1: here's where you really uh beat me down pretty bad, Neil. Was uh closest to Florida's biggest margin of victory in SEC play. I said 20, or I, said, I said 29, you said 20. The actual was Vanderbilt at 19. Um, biggest margin of defeat i thought it was going to be 18 points you went a little more at 20 and kentucky beats the gators by 21 another point to you um then single game highest point total i thought 25 i thought the gators would be able to you know scheme out some of these guys the answer is oscar shibwe who had 770 points No, um it was actually Scottie pippen um with 29 i think um (laughs) Couple, so uh so you got that one I, I said 25 you said 28 so i was closest the only real discussion points i have neil and i don't think it is you know it's not going to matter in the scoring but when we said this when when i gave you this question i said that you and me would have to come to a consensus um to see who would be awarded this point um and uh i think it's maybe maybe you know something to kind of kick into our just you know year in review maybe to But the one question we had that I knew we were going to have to, you know, debate or come to a conclusion was who was Florida's, who would be Florida's defensive player of the year? Um, You said CJ Felder, which um, of course injuries kept that from happening. Um, I said Colin Castleton or sorry, no, I didn't say Colin Castleton. I said Flanders Fleming Mm. um, kind of thinking that Florida's pick and roll defense would continue to be bad. And it would unfortunately look bad on Colin Castleton. (laughs) I'm not even trying to like, like honestly, Neil, I do not know what my thought is and who I would vote for Florida's defensive player of the year. I'm going to throw it to you and say, what is your thought on who Florida's defensive player of the year was?
0: Um, I just think it has to be Colin Castle. I thought, I thought Flanders Fleming was a good sec defender. Unfortunately, he was not a great sec defender. Um, and I, I man, I just think there's such a big difference, right? Like Alabama is the perfect example of that. Like they they still had some good defenders this year. Um, but you know, with Primo gone and Herb Jones gone, it just looked a lot different. Um, and like, I think, uh, who's the guy I think that they have that's closest to great. I'm blanking on his name now, senior, um, in any event, uh, Flan Fleming kind of on that level, like high steel percentage, uh, pretty good in a stance, um, wasn't as capable on the glass as i thought he would be didn't bother people with his length nearly as much as i thought he would um but still a good defender i just think it has to be castleton mainly because florida was absolutely incapable of rebounding the ball without colin castleton um and then uh i think when you're top 50 or so in the country in block percentage which is around where colin ended up despite playing hurt for much of the year um You know, he's sort of Florida's in a world where CJ Felder was hurt, was Florida's kind of lone rim protector, really. Um, and so I just think it has to be him, Eric.
1: That's totally reasonable. I mean, I I think that if I was like desperate for a point, perhaps in a tiebreaker, I think I could argue in relatively good faith. I I mean, I think there probably could be an argument just like put together for Flanders Fleming you know, maybe just with the kind of importance of, of like, I guess he was the closest thing they had to a stopper, you know, on the outside. I mean, other than Niles Lane, who the only reason I would say he just like, not that we have any minute minimum to qualify, but unfortunately there was a long stretch where he didn't play and, that would keep him from from consideration but i, I think with the block percentage from from Concastleton that that's got to be it I, I really don't think there's anyone else who would even come close to that conversation i think it would be Concastleton you could maybe argue for Flanders Fleming and then you could obviously argue for Niles Lane if you wanted to go on like a you know per possession basis yeah um, right per, per 36 but he just you know there's just so many games that he unfortunately didn't play so um that that's all about it. But I, I, I was interested just in your thoughts and I'll be interested if any listeners have any, have any takes on that one. But uh, I thought we were going to have a good spirited battle because I thought that Felder was going to have a chance. Of course, injury thought Niles Lane was going to have a chance. We also didn't think he was going to play enough minutes, but you know, right, right. quality. you know, I thought we'd be able to have a good discussion at the end of the year, but you know what? I also thought we'd be in top 24 in Ken Palm offense. So what do we know? But Neil, that is all for this year's, predictions um the odds maker will have to try to get a little bit better for next year and uh get get something within like you know 50 ken palm spots of florida's projected defense but actually (laughs) actually at the same time i i I hadn't even thought about it until right now next year's prediction show is going to be much more fun because it's just you know what, you know, what, what do we expect from, from Todd golden year one, it'll be such a crap shoot. So it's going to be tough for the odds maker, but it's, it's going to be fun. I'll, and I know some people also played along. Um, Jake Winderman was one for sure, who I know is playing along with our over-under predictions. Um, we suck, but uh, we'll see if uh, anyone who is playing along at home ends up uh, with better predictions than we did.
0: Absolutely. Um, and uh, Keon Ellis was the guy I was kind of talking about, like, you know, obviously a very good defender, Um, but probably not like a great defender, but, but, you know, last year Keon Ellis was like the third or fourth best defender on Alabama. And so, you know, you're going to be really good at defense. And if Flan Fleming was for his third or fourth best defender, that would have been a different defensive team. But instead he's kind of put into this role as, as a stopper. Um, I think both of us were right in sizing up Brandon McKissick and saying he could be a a capable sec defender, but was never going to be, a great sec defender it's going to be a little bit more difficult for him and i think that ended up being true um and so yeah i mean todd golden prioritizes defense it's going to be i think the defensive predictions next season are going to be pretty interesting and and speaking of defense i guess when we start year in review um we can kind of begin with guys that are coming back including cj felder who i still think is a guy that's that's really capable of being a very productive sec player if he can stay healthy
1: so some people will remember that before the season um, I did uh, what I did last year with Tyree Appleby and, and Anthony DeRuji where I tried to predict their statistical production um, based off the how previous players from the Horizon and Conference USA have done in the SEC. I did it again for this year's crop of transfers. Um, I think maybe after you know the national championship, maybe that week, I'll, I'll probably write uh, about that and totally show how close I was or how far I was. There's the, you know, there's the cell right there. You'll have to tune in to find out. Um, actually, I kind of have to say, I, I was relatively close with uh, a number of the players. Um, and I think a lot of player people would say, like, oh, like, well, if these guys all, you know, were close to reaching what we all kind of expected, you know, why was Florida not an NCAA tournament team? And, I'm not saying it is exclusively because CJ Felder got injured. That is for sure. But I've got to say, when you look at the holes that Florida had as a team, man, would a healthy CJ Felder have really helped that whether it's defensive rebounding, whether it's first shot defense, having some of that toughness on the ball on some of these wings um, or being able to switch onto a guard from a front court position. Um, The fact that he flashed some decent three point numbers when he was healthy. Uh, The fact he could put the ball on the floor, on the floor in a way that a, a number of, you know, Florida's players were not, um, as, as keen to do, or to, I should say to get to the rim and, and finish inside. Like, there's just a lot of like a lot of areas where Florida was deficient that a healthy CJ Felder would have helped. And, uh, it's, it's one of those things that like, Matt, I really do think Florida's season could have looked, you know, fairly, fairly different if you sub out some minutes here or there, um, for a couple of different guys for a, a healthy CJ Felder. So, um, I am uh, I I'm very much looking forward to him being a uh, well let's let's hope totally healthy going into next season.
0: Yeah, no, I I mean I think it would be massive for Florida uh if he um is healthy especially we don't know what the situation really with the front court is going to be um but he's a guy that that is very much capable of playing bigger than his size. I think in Todd Golden's system, uh, he's a guy that feel pretty comfortable with three to five. Uh, that's always a positive. And he's also potentially going to be the person with the most girth, um, you know, underneath, depending on how Jason Jatobo recovers from uh, his injury. Jason Jatobo uh, expected to make a recovery, but you just never know with that kind of freakish injury. And and I guess staying in the front court uh, with Jason Jatobo and just maybe some thoughts for our listeners on the progress he did make before the injury, which obviously was unfortunate because he was playing the best basketball of his career.
1: Yeah, I think he surprised me a little bit. I mean, I was someone who was pretty nervous to see him playing significant minutes. Yeah, um, I thought he provided. Uh, uh, th- there's a couple things that that I thought were pretty good. I mean, one, just still his ability to, to run the floor was was pretty good for someone of his um, kind of size. The Gators didn't uh, didn't hurt in transition defense in a way that I was kind of expecting with him on the floor. Um, and, and then one of the things, too, was like, you know, I didn't love Florida's pick and roll defensive scheme neither did neil no one's going to be surprised by hearing that if this is uh if they've listened to this podcast but while i didn't like it i did think that jason rotobo executed it fairly well and uh a lot of that is his ability to move his feet fairly well for a man of his size so again showed some showed some soft hands finishing inside the next evolution for him if he's going to um you know, be a high level SEC player is like, he has to be able to absolutely like bury matchups of undersized centers under the rim. Like he has to dominate those matchups and uh, you know, something, I think we'll have to do it in, uh, you know, maybe one or two episodes, Neil. Or it's going to come up at some point in the off season. We're, we'll have to talk about like, you know, what could we learn about like from the NCAA tournament this year, and like what can we take to like, hey, the, the Gators were not in the tournament. Um, in the tournament, you saw a style of basketball that's very different than Florida plays. Um, what takeaways can can we have, and 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 what can the Gators kind of glean from this? Um, one thing I kind of noticed, and and again, this is uh, this is easier said than done. But one of the things I often say about Jason Jatobo is when you look at the high major level or the SEC, whatever you want to say, there are not many players in the Jason Jatobo player archetype of six foot eleven and whatever, 300-ish pounds, um, hopefully less than that. You just don't see that player in 2022 at the high major level very often. Something close to that who was very, very effective was Eddie Lampkin from TCU. Um, who used to be like a lot heavier than 300 pounds and lost a lot of weight and has become a very good player. But, you know, he's listed at six foot 11 and 280 pounds, I think. And he had the sixth highest offensive rebound rate in the country. I, 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 again, I just see like, there are so few six foot 11, 270 plus pound centers that can kind of make it work um, at the highest level right now. Um, One showed that he could make it happen. It was because he was just an absolute menace on the offensive glass. And that was Eddie Lampkin. Um, that was just something I thought I'm just like, well, like, man, if, if Jason Jasobo is going to be a high level player for the Gators, he needs to dominate both sides of the glass and he needs to be able to dominate when teams have a six foot eight, 230 pound center they on him.
0: Yeah, man. I think those are all, uh, awesome, awesome points. Like his, I, he, he's got great hands. I think he's an intelligent player and a, and a high level passer. Um, His offensive rating was easily the highest on Florida, by the way, Um, at 129.4. I, I, you know, look, uh, that's a small sample size, but, you know, kind of shows that he has a high level of offensive skill, um, has to feast on matchups, like Eric said. That's kind of the next step in his development. And then Eric just mentioned something that's really important for me with Jason is he's really got a rebound better. Like we just haven't seen him. For somebody that has quick feet and is reads the game well, I'm kind of surprised that he hasn't yanked down more rebounds or at least cleared things out to allow guards to rebound um, or forwards, whatever. And so I think it's it's uh, that's kind of the next logical progression is is to get better using his body, box out, um, so that either he can rebound or teammates can rebound. Eric. Well, and and,
1: and one thing I do wonder is for him rebounding which yeah it just wasn't great uh for him i do think a lot of it was related to um the fact that his wind was never totally right i don't think he had a lot of energy left to compete on either side of the glass and again i'm looking at eddie lampkin who's still a pretty heavy set dude even though he's lost a ton of weight and oh my goodness he had you know energy on a thousand for the entire game it felt both times I right. watched him play so um that's that's again why i want to like it's not like oh here's clearly like jason jatobo can just do what eddie Lampkin did that's why i prefaced it with like i know this is kind of a tall ass to go from like what he is currently is to like hey can you play with this motor that we've never really seen from a guy who's 6 foot 11 and 270 pounds but again just like you know we can we can debate whether or not it's reasonable to expect it but go find me another player of that archetype in at the highest level right now did anyone at the, anyone who tuned into March Madness, did they catch any six foot 11, 300 pound centers anywhere? Like I didn't see them. So um again, it's, it's just, it's a player archetype that has not had a lot of success recently. So if, if, if Jason Jatobo isn't excellent at a number of those different elements of the game, Um, it's, it's going to be tough for him, but I'll be interested to see like golden had some big boys at, uh, at, um, San Francisco, not quite in the Jason Jatobo mold, but he had a couple seven footers, which especially in that league was a pretty big advantage. Um, clearly he, he likes having, uh, those kinds of guys. Um, but, uh, man, I can kind of see it either way. Like Jason Jatobo had some really good minutes, um, better, far better than what I expected. But again, I just I just, I just, just really struggle with the way that the game is going and looking around college basketball to see, like, okay, how can Jason Jatobo, as currently constructed, be really effective? It's it's just, you know, I, I've really got to squint. So, you know, when I really squint, I can maybe see Eddie Lampkin, but then there is still plenty of work to go from a player who is struggling to play, like, 15 minutes in a game to, oh, my goodness, did anyone see the incredible effort from Eddie Lampkin on, you know, every possession for, you know, a couple of games. So... Yeah, those are kind of my my thoughts for 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 Jason Jitobo, who I'm really cheering for definitely.
0: Um I think we're all cheering for Jason to get back healthy and and uh hopefully build on the momentum that he had before the injury. Uh the last front court piece that we had to talk about really um is cuz we are not discussing um well we're going to talk about the seniors that are eligible to return but not yet. Um so right now we would we would bring up two on uh, who I will admit at moments I was pleasantly surprised with uh, this season. Um, I don't think that I look, I think two on speaking of somebody that plays really hard and, and clearly has like a lot of energy and plays with a lot of effort. Uh, I think two on Gatkick checks all those boxes. He reminds me a little bit of uh, Mamadou Diara who played at UConn for a couple of years and, and I think got hurt uh, and kind of, doesn't play anymore, but um, just a real high energy guy uh, that seems like he can disrupt people with his length, a good screen setter. Um, But a long way to go from like an offensive skill set standpoint. I'm not sure how many complicated things they could throw at him schematically um, offensively either. Um, So having him set screens was pretty useful because getting him involved in actions wasn't, necessarily going to happen eric um but uh plays hard and i think the biggest thing for two on and and i know this is why we get paid the big bucks to do this podcast is uh he's got to lift some weights and get stronger man yeah that's
1: just one of those things with like Especially if we'll we'll see, but Todd Golden did some dropping of pick and rolls. Um, in his time in San Francisco, I'm going to assume that that's going to continue based off all the analytic knowledge I have of, of Todd Golden. Um, but yeah, you need a center who's going to be able to um take some contact, initiate some contact with um, guards going downhill at full speed. Yeah. And there was times where he did that, and um, you know, Iverson Molinar drops his shoulder and pushes Toon Gakik into, into the third row on his way to an uncontested layup. Like that's just that can't happen in the drop scheme and it'll just be interesting to see if he's, if like, let's, let's say that Gatkick goes in, you know, relatively similar looking frame. It's like, you know, it's like, okay, are we going to be able to, are, are they going to drop all the pick and rolls with Jason Jatobo and then blitz all the pick and rolls with, with Toon Gatkick? I mean, maybe, but you're at a point where it's just like, well, what, what upside does Gatkick bring to right. the point that you're building your defensive or offensive philosophies around making him comfortable. Uh, so again, that's going to be another thing that we'll like, we'll see what the portal brings. We'll see what any late high school recruiting brings. And is it a point where it's like, okay, we kind of know that Gakik Hick is going to have to play minutes, or is it going to be a situation where let's say Jatobo's back and, and Felder's back and, you know, one or Jalen, let's say Jalen Reed comes and they get a graduate transfer front, front court player. It's like, okay, well, like, where does Gatkick kick fit in the mix? I, I guess we'll we'll see. You know if if that time comes. So, um, yeah, that that that's the biggest thing for me is 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 just like I I I need to see what he does well enough to you know command minutes on the floor outside of, outside of desperation. You know maybe that's weak side shot blocking, which is he did bring that at sometimes with his leaping ability and length. But it's also like okay, the Gators can't be three hundred thirtieth in in defensive rebounding again, and uh, him getting just you know. Anytime he he can't hold the box out because he's getting pushed under the rim and, and wedged, it's like, that's not helping the team either. So um, definitely it's, it's, it's funny because it's like such simple analysis to look at a player that thin and say like, well, he's got to add a bunch of weight. But for him, it really is because if it's going to be dropping pick and rolls, if it's going to be defensive rebounding, um, he needs a lot more weight.
0: Yes, he does. And, um, we should say Gatkinson is like a good player to bring up the fact that, um, the players started their meetings with the coaching staff either Sunday night or what is it today? It's Monday. Yeah. Sunday night or, um, or Monday morning, but in any event, player meetings with the new staff, uh, which I guess right now on campus is just Todd Golden and Jonathan Saffer. Um, but, They are meeting with the coaches. Uh, and so futures kind of will be decided here in the next couple of weeks. And we found last year, it was just much easier with all the portal traffic to just kind of talk about players. If they decided to leave, I'm not saying Gat Kick is going to after. So it was just easier to do the year in review based on the year they just had at Florida. So, um, that's kind of the, the wrap on two on Gat Kick. We move now to the wing, um, and I think maybe a really interesting conversation about Kowasi Reeves because it's so tempting to just lock in on how he closed the year, which was like a player who has all SEC next year written all over him um, and, you know, not focus on why it took him a little while to catch up, which to some extent I think was competition, which I think his father, who's awesome, would admit – uh, it, that was a big adjustment for him. And then I do think just getting him confident and doing something other than shooting, like we saw late in the year, uh, him start to attack the basket a little bit. I still think a big part of his offseason regiment is going to be learning to drive and attack closeouts a little better. Um, just because he is so long, we saw like the angry dunks when he actually did it properly. Um, but a really interesting uh, conversation piece. And, and then the biggest thing that improved for me it wasn't just the fact that he was getting the shot to go in which both Eric and I knew he could do is that I thought he just improved by leaps and bounds defensively as the season went on.
1: Yeah and for for him it is so much that he is a smart player who plays really hard and is 6 foot 6 and athletic. Um that's really, you know, checks a lot of boxes for um defending well and and I think he kind of got caught getting a little bit too low in his stance or, or overplaying a little bit. Cause that his desire to clamp down defensively was, was so high and it got him in trouble early um, then offensively. I mean, he took some really bad shots earlier in the season. There's, there's no question about it. So definitely had a little bit of shot selection to learn and you can kind of uh, add that into the, kind of high school quality of competition a little bit because he was the guy who um, was leaps and bounds, the best player on his high school team. Um, and he had to take a lot of those, you know, really tough shots. So uh, finding out that uh, it was actually like easier for him to score um, off the ball um, at the college level when he wasn't getting double and triple team like he was in high school, uh, kind of fit in for him. But um, it, it, it's pretty crazy too like just thinking about the fact that like it, it seems like he really, really shot the ball like super well Um, and then it's almost like surprising to see that he you know shot 33% on the season and uh, 33% in conference play like right which is actually a little you know surprising to me just because he had obviously some very loud makes that were pretty big Um, but I don't know it just just felt like he shot the ball better and honestly I think some of that too is the fact that like his misses look good. Like he had, you know, shot spill out his form looks really good versus like, no one's going to be surprised by Brandon McKissick's three point right, percentage, or, right. or maybe the better example is Myron Jones is because when he missed, he was taking paint off the corner of the backboard. So um, that wasn't the case with Quasi Reeves. So again, we even saw like him be really effective and like, he honestly didn't shoot the ball. Great. He shot the ball. Okay. Or, you know, pretty well. So you can see where he was really effective shooting the ball. Okay. Um, you can see pretty quickly where it's like, well, we all think he can shoot the ball excellently. Um, so you know, there's there's just like like the, the sky really is the limit for him, and uh, he's it's it's going to be very important um, for for Golden to ch- to try to keep him because there's there's no question a player like him, um, you know, if he did sh- decide that Florida wasn't the school for him, he would have no shortage of of suitors. I think he could play oh, big time. anywhere in the country. Like, would it shock you at all if you saw you know Kwesi Reeves? Like say he hits the portal, like oh, I, I shouldn't even speak this evil into existence. People are going me. There's <laughs> there's not a lot of schools where you could say Kwesi Reeves, you know, goes here, and it would be like, oh, that's sh- shocking because he's better than a lot of the guys that some of these blue buds have have, have taken his trans right. So big time job to to try to keep Kwesi, and uh, I would be just you know we're we're huge fans of him on the podcast here, so would uh, would love to be able to watch him more in Orange and Blue.
0: Yeah, I mean, UNC's in the Final Four, and and they took Justin McKay as an extra wing from Virginia. So uh, that kind of speaks to Eric's point a little bit. Um, and, and I wanted to – you know, Eric's usually the one piling on the data, but one thing that will shock you when you think about the thunderous dunks he made um, was he only made five two-pointers in conference play. So – I mean, I just think like when we talk about him needing to learn how to attack closeouts better and get to the rim, that's something that he's got to do. I mean, because as a jump shooter, he was drawing fouls. He is a 3.1 fouls drawn per 40, which is not great, but as a freshman, that's not bad when mostly you're shooting jump shots. Um, and he's a good free throw shooter, as we saw, shot 75%, and I think his form is 80, 85% good. So um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, this just quantum. Uh, leaps and bounds in terms of the way for him to get better. He only played 30 minutes in one basketball game all season. Uh, he played 20 minutes or more only 10 times. So, I mean, he's just starting to scratch the surface, Eric. Yeah, and
1: then one more advanced number. I'll, I'm sure I'll write about it. Something here. I don't have the number in front of me, but um, we uh, something we kind of talk about with with players and and lineup data is like. Um, their net rating differential, like what's their net rating when they're on the floor or the team's net rating when a player's on the floor. And then what's the net rating when they're off the floor? So like if a player was like, you know, minus two or if the Gators were like minus two with the player on the floor and then they were like plus my 10 with that player off the floor, they would have a plus, they'd have a, you know, a net rating differential of minus 12 and you'd be like, oh, that's, you know, the team is better with that guy off the floor. He maybe shouldn't play more. Anyways, Kwasi Reeves led the Gators in plus minus differential. Um, so they had, I think they were like plus seven with him on the court. And I forgot what they were with him off the court. Um, I did look this up, but I, I do know he led the Gators in net rating differential, which is um, not to suggest he's the, he was the most valuable Gator or anything like that. Um, but it's pretty interesting to see that uh, his, his minutes went well when he was on the floor. Um, and you contextualize it even more with the fact that he didn't get to play a lot of minutes in these buy games early in the season. A lot of his minutes were like him playing the big minutes against Texas A&M and Iona and some of these big games down the stretch. So he got like city miles put on him and performed really well. So some of those numbers also speak to kind of his positive impact on the Gators already as a freshman.
0: There you go. Um, so pretty excited about Wasey Greaves. Um, the next A guy that I think we want to talk about is Niles Lane on the wing. Um, Speaking of players who kind of made big, big jumps. um, Certainly that's a fair characterization of Niles Lane. And instead of talking about his defense, which I'm going to let Eric do, I want to talk about his late season offensive growth um, and the fact that we saw how explosive he is attacking closeouts. Um, CJ Felder was Florida's best two-point make guy. Uh, on the season, he had 39 two pointers attempted and made 27. Niles Lane was second um, at 59.4%. In the last eight years of Florida basketball, Florida's had only two non bigs go at 60% or better um, on two pointers. They obviously had much higher volume than Felder and um, Lane, but the players are Keontae Johnson and Casey Prather. Uh, who were both first-team all-SEC, kind of gives you an idea of how valuable it is to be able to attack a closeout the way Niles Lane is. Um, Prather's senior season was the one that that crushes me. Um, Casey made 61% of his two-point shots, Eric, 189 of 310, and only attempted five three-pointers, and that was as a junior when he was just firing away from deep. Uh, We saw Niles Lane make a three against Texas A&M, I think like mid-range jump shot is where Niles Lane can make a lot of money um, because I'm not sure that like the three-pointer is ever going to be a super big weapon for him, but if he can learn to make mid-range jumpers, he'll be able to attack closeouts really effectively. He seems to be kind of a crafty finisher, um, and I really think with him, as good as his defense is, all he has to be is just a little bit effective offensively to become an outstanding player at Flora.
1: Well, we saw that in the last couple of games and I'll, I'll say this, like it was, you know, pretty open, um, from the coaching staff to Niles that, uh, if he was going to get on the floor, his job was to not shoot the ball and pass it. And, uh, you know, I do think that's given the way that shooting has gone from early in his career. I can definitely understand why they're, they're like, well, you know, this probably isn't a shot for you. If you, if you're not, you know, like wide, wide open. So I, I can see it a little bit, but again, we, we, I, we saw pretty good offensive Niles lane at the end where he was like not taking you know anything he wasn't like 100 sure on because uh the the messaging was that you know he's there to play defense and to move the ball on offense so I, I do think he's a lot better than what we've kind of seen. Um, you know, in high school, we did see him handle the ball a lot more and his ball handling didn't go very well as a freshman. Um, but perhaps that's something that, you know, now as an older player will, will be much better. And we do see a little bit with his ability to attack closeouts. Uh, we also saw it a little bit at, uh, these la- last couple NIT games, um, with the, his kind of ability to dribble it a bit and then pass off the bounce. He had a couple really nice assists kind of showing a little bit of the, the point guard play that he had, um, uh, when he was in high school. So, um, yeah, I-, I knew you threw it to me to talk defense. I mean, what really more is there to say? We saw that he was Florida's best perimeter defender when he was on the floor. Um, Again, there was some stories that I think I've heard enough that I probably believe that there was a, you know, a little bit of a um, miscommunication between some members of the coaching staff and and Niles Lane that happened in a practice that led to him being in the doghouse um, for a little while. And and I don't think it was, it was, you know, nothing. I, I don't think Niles did anything wrong. Just, Some things like that happened during, during the course of a season. I think that that affected a bunch of his DNPs because man, it looked, you know, once he got into the game in SEC play right away and provided really good minutes right away and contributed to winning the questions from Florida fans about like, why the heck would the Gators not play this guy more? I I think that those questions were fair. Um, so Kwasi Reeves led the Gators in net rating differential. Um, and uh, through SEC play plus uh, postseason play plus Oklahoma state um, second. So Kwasi Reeves led the team second on the team was Niles Lane. So two players that kind of ended up commanding minutes in the biggest game of the season. Um, as we remember in Texas A&M, um, you know, two guys that of course we've kind of stand for. So, uh, it, it, it's i knew you'd be happy to hear that those two were kind of led the way but again i i know lineup data and i know that todd golden likes to look at that kind of stuff so i know he's going yeah. to see that kind of stuff with quay Reeves and niles lane and um he, I, I i don't uh you know him and jonathan sapphire looking at uh, this team from an analytical lens i can kind of um i can guess what they're thinking and i know that they are going to think very positively of, of niles lane
0: yeah one thing that two two numbers kind of flesh that out. Um, The first one is the just the points per possession standpoint. Um, He actually ended up not playing enough minutes to qualify uh, nationally, but still ends up on the chart at 17th in the country um, per hoops lens in terms of points per possession uh, as a defender. So one of the most elite defenders that you really could want um, would have been third in the SEC overall in that category, Eric uh, per hoops lens. And then, um, how about just wins and losses? (laughs) The the old fashioned one, uh, Florida 15 and six, uh, in games that Niles Lane played in five and eight in the DNPs.
1: Well, I mean, it really is one of those kinds of things where like, if you were to look at, uh, like if you were to look at the Gators, when they lost to Maryland in fairly frustrating fashion, um and uh just kind of the way that on both like you know struggled to contain things defensively looked pretty kind of scrambled offensively um and then you were to go look at like again not that the Gators look particularly great in this game but look at them down the stretch in Texas A&M with Quacey Reeves right. and, and Niles Lane on the floor or we could say you know when they're beating Auburn or whatever whatever you want to say And at any time like those those two guys are back in the mix like it really was two different teams and like one of the things too is just like there were times where Florida rolled out a starting lineup that had Brandon McKissick and, and Tyree Appleby and, and Myron Jones and Flanders Fleming at the four or, you know, playing minutes that way. And it was just like this, like, you know, take the jerseys off these guys, just kind of size athleticism wise. You're not thinking this is an sec team. Suddenly you get Koisi Reeves in there and you get Niles Lane. And now it's like, okay, now you're like it again. It's like, it's obviously you know stars aren't everything recruiting rankings aren't everything but like man sometimes when you looked at the gators against a bunch of top 100 teams this year um what the high school recruiting rankings looked like wouldn't have been a surprise to anyone so when you're going against the kentuckys of the world you could tell pretty quickly like who was the you know the maybe the low major transfers and who were the former top 100 kids so i i think that that just kind of the athleticism and size that it brings when Niles Lane at six foot five and thickly built is, is it shooting guard and, and Kwasi Reeves at six, six or six, seven, is it small forward? Like that, you know, that, that, that makes you, uh,
0: that, that helps when you're playing against the Kentuckys and the Auburns of the world. There's no doubt. So the last player we have to talk about, yes, we get to talk about a guard So we've gone uh, we've gone front court. We've gone a wing, a traditional guard, uh Elijah Kennedy, um, will be the last player we discuss on this podcast. Um, Elijah missed his last 15 three-point attempts of the season, finished six for 40 on the year from downtown, uh, probably fired away a little too much. So I'm going to make my one hot take for the show, which is that Todd Golden will get this kid right uh, and that he will end up being a really successful player in Florida. Um, I just don't think you can dominate the peach jam the way that Elijah Kennedy did uh, and not be a capable scorer. And I don't know if it was system or the lack of a system, because you have to kind of point out the fact that Kennedy played so erratically that Florida was probably doing different things offensively almost every time that he played in a game. Um, Golden's not going to do that. They're going to have stuff that they do pretty consistently um, and I just think that he's a capable scorer. I also like his size at six three one ninety. I bet you he's six three one ninety five with Preston green next year. Um, and you know, I think he's one of the guys, cause I know Eric and I have discussed this kind of ad nauseum that will benefit from being a little stronger and bulkier. Cause I really think his ba- his game, Eric is to attack off the bounce and show that he can finish.
1: Yeah, honestly, rip to my lineup data tweets um, because I think that they're not going to be very common this year. Um, there was a lot of content this year that was like, okay, it looks like the Gators are going to play a must-win game against Texas A&M starting a lineup that has a minus 20 net rating. Like that is notable, um, oh, it's, which is oh, like, you know, like, which is actually funny. Like some people have pointed out to me that they're like, hey, Eric, do you think that you like cyber bullied the Gators into hiring Todd Golden? And I was like, what do you mean? They're just like, like you, you constantly tweeted out this line of data, stuff. They <laughs> hire, they hire someone who actually uses line of data. So I was like, I hadn't thought about that, but you know, maybe, 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 maybe just like 0.0001% of the hiring process was due to me, cyberbullying the Gators into hiring someone who, you know, uses those numbers, maybe just maybe, but again, like, so, you know, will Todd Golden get him right and put him into situations lineup wise that are better? I'd, I'd have to imagine. So, and we really saw it like with Trey Mann as a freshman. Then we saw with Niles lane last year. It, it And this isn't a surprise to anyone. It's like, if you don't play many minutes and then you've been sitting on the bench for 40 minutes and you come in and you've got a corner three in rhythm to try to hit, like, that's just such a tough shot when you're cold. So I, again, it's like, do I think Elijah Kennedy is as bad a shooter as his numbers suggest? Like, no, I don't like, just because again, it's like, that's just so tough to do for someone at any level to sit and get ice, like go do it right now. As you listen to this podcast, you've been listening to this podcast, you know, sitting down for the last 40 minutes, go to your nearest hoop and shoot a three-pointer. Tell me, tell me how it goes. So um, (laughs) I know that's going to be, that's going to be like that. That certainly didn't help. So, uh, I do think his kind of compact, tight shooting form um, looks good to me. Um, it's not like a sloppy jump shot at all, um, so I like how that looks, and that to me suggests he's probably a pretty good shooter. And then, um, like you said, uh, the fact that he was able to dominate the peach jam—that is the pinnacle of you know grassroots basketball. So that really means something. Um, the, the, the one thing I will say is like, like I'd have to you know look back a little bit at this, but I remember you know we're reading he's like six foot four. Probably someone who's like a little bit more of a shooting guard. I remember even people talking about his kind of physicality, you know, at the, the high school level. Um, like I mean, I I definitely would say he looks smaller than that. And his style, like he he looks to me more like someone who might end up being like uh uh has to be a point guard, just kind of size, length, skill set. So th- that that to me, I guess, is the most interesting, which is just like tough to say based on his short minutes at Florida so far. Um but I think we probably thought we were getting someone who's a little bit more shooting guard, maybe combo guardy, whereas seeing him play and size frame wise, I'm thinking maybe, maybe point guard,
0: but I'm curious if you have any takes on that. So that's my like concern about the, my hot take is actually that I, I didn't think point guard, but I'm a little bit worried about ball dominant guard. Um, and not in like the quest Glover sense where quest Glover is kind of like mid major Chris likes, Right. But, like, um, you know, does Eli need the ball a ton to, to do what we saw him do in the Peach jam, which is really – I mean, Eric mentioned the form on the jumper, and it is pretty nice, actually, uh, especially for a left-hander. Um, it doesn't look that awkward. But he also, I think, um, is a good finisher, Eric. Uh, he has a nice bounce, um, nice first step. Uh, and he was very crafty in the peach tram and finishing with both hands. Um, and so I wonder if that's why I mentioned Preston green, like I do think some weight would help. Um, but I also don't know if he's a guy that's going to be able to catch and drive, or is he a guy that's going to need a lot of the basketball? Well, and, and
1: that's always interesting with young players too, because it's like, when you're a young player trying to get on the court, it's always a little bit easier to slide into that off ball role, whether it's what you're trying to do or what the coach has you doing. Um, but sometimes that's not, you know, necessarily the best player. And I know that that's something for, you know, some people close to Niles Lane have been saying, it's like, Hey, he needs to have the ball in his hands to be a little better. And it's like, well, maybe that's the case or, or Trey man's another example too, how we kind of were saying that like, Hey, he's got to have the ball in his hands. Um, no wonder he's struggling as a freshman. He's doing something he's, you know, his set is not geared towards. And then of course we, see what happens when he gets the ball in his hands more. But, um, that, yeah, it'll be interesting to see for Kennedy. And I just don't really know right now, but I I hadn't really thought about what we saw at the peach sham and how that relates, but it's definitely true. Uh, He was the guy with the ball in his hands, taking a lot of bounces to get to his spots and he was effective and shot the ball efficiently. But, uh, how that kind of translates to you know sec basketball time will time will tell and i'll be really interested at what uh kind of golden and his staff's kind of evaluation is both of his like you know long-term fit at florida and uh, even just like on the short term like maybe even what position or what role
0: yeah and i will say this for for our listeners we we occasionally are privy to some information from from people inside the program or or people close to the players and um, it was cool that Casey Prather reached out and, and had talked to uh, heard some of the Niles Lane um, comparisons and, and offered a little bit of advice. And he said that what he was most impressed with about Niles was that he seems to be somebody that adjusted to his strengths this season. And that was like kind of, which is very hard at 1920 when you've been the best at something. And a lot of these guys, I mean, Eric knows, cause he coaches uh, kids, you know, these kids playing in the sec, I mean, for years and years and years, they were the best player on almost every floor. Um, And so to be able to kind of step back and say, Hey man, I'm not the best at just launching my outside shot, or I've got to figure out how to contribute offensively without having the ball all the time. And Casey Printer said that took him a long time to learn. And he started to see Niles lane do that. But he said, just be yourself and do what you do best. That that's my advice to Niles Lane. And he's like, it's clearly play hard defense and attack closeouts. Like it's so obvious what he does best. And he's starting to do that. Um, a guy like Kowasi Reeves, who's a little more complete because of his ridiculous athleticism could kind of do all that stuff. Not that Niles isn't pretty athletic, but like Kowasi can become a more lethal jump shooter if he learns to attack closeouts. So his, off-season is going to be a little bit different, whereas Niles might work on a mid-range jumper. For Elijah Kennedy, I think he's just at the beginning of that incubation process, Eric, where he will now step back and say, okay, my freshman year wasn't really what I totally thought it was going to be. Uh, What do I need to do to make myself impactful as a sophomore? Great stuff from Casey Prather, though. Yeah,
1: it's great. It's great to have um, some of our favorite alumni still kind of caring about the Gators, and uh, that's something that's obviously good about uh, Todd Golden. Right away, a lot of the the alumni have uh, shown an interest, and maybe that speaks to uh, maybe a little bit of uh, how they might have thought things were getting a little bit stale, anyways. Too, Indeed. but um, it's uh, it's great great to have him reach out. He can he can come on the podcast anytime too. There's there's no question. Open invitation. Um, he was advised. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, which, Hey, and where, uh, you know, people should know where, you know, trying to get, uh, trying to get some new members of the staff on, I think it might be a little bit easier with this new regime than, than the last one. So we will see, um, that'd be pretty great. But, uh, Neil, really quick, I know we're getting to the end of the podcast, but there were, uh, two things from a different Gators podcast, Todd Golden going on Patrick's young, Patrick Young's podcast um, that I thought were very interesting. And I wanted your comments on, I don't know if you listened to this. um, Well, actually only one thing for you to comment on, I I will say, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, but Patrick Young said something right at the end of the podcast that was like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm looking for Like I'll go get a work in with a a workout in with like, you know, your new guy, um, you know, when he's here. So, so, or like when I'm here. So I thought that was very interesting because it like, maybe suggest that that Preston green is not going to be the strength and conditioning coach. Again, maybe that was Patrick young saying like, Oh, I'm, you know, Patrick young doesn't strike me as someone who would just assume that Todd golden is his own guy. So maybe he knows something, maybe I'm reading far too much into it. Um, But the one thing I did really want you to know or hear your thoughts on, and I also wanted to pass on to Gator fans because quite frankly, I know they're going to absolutely love it is um, they're talking about expectations and Todd golden said, like, yeah, we should be competing for the second weekend every single year. Yes, expectations should be high. And then he said very openly, he's like, which I actually thought was funny. I think he said like three years down the line, which I was like, Oh, that's not even, but he was like, you know, he's like, if it's a couple years down the line and we're not in that situation where we're competing for, for second weekend, I am probably not the guy for Florida. And it's probably going to be right that you're, you know, calling me out for it. So for him to, he wasn't like, oh, well, you know, it's tough to win in the SEC. Oh, well, you know, it's tough to maintain success. Like he was like, no, we should be competing for second weekends. And uh, if I haven't done that um, for a couple of years or in a couple of years, then I'm probably not the right guy. And like, yeah, media should be calling me out for it. So um, I know that people will love to hear that. But I'm curious if you heard that, Neil, or if you have any kind of takes on on how Golden has kind of talked about expectations, which he has done in a you know, couple areas so far.
0: I love the way he talks about expectations. Um, and I think that's great. I mean, my position has always been that in order to be an elite program in the sport, you should compete to play on the second weekend every year. You don't have to make the sweet 16 every season. I know there, here are the programs that only hang sweet 16 banners. I'm about to name them all. Okay. Cause this is fun. Kansas, North Carolina, Duke, Villanova, Indiana, UCLA. That's the list. <laughs> so that is the list of programs that only hang sweet 16 banners are better and don't hang NCA tournament appearance, 2000, whatever. Um, so I think if you compete for it, that's great. I don't think the average college basketball casual that starts tuning in when college football's over in the SEC appreciates how hard it is to make the sweet 16. It's very hard. Um, for one, you have to win two games in March to get there, um, which is really hard. Uh, but I think that should be the expectation of Florida to compete for the Sweet 16 every year. And if you get to the Sweet 16, anything can happen, as we just saw this weekend with an 8C North Carolina team that looked dead in the water in mid-February, winning its regional. St. Peter's was in the Elite Eight, you might have heard. Um, you know, uh, the Miami Hurricanes looked like they were going to the final four for three games and one half. Um, and then Kansas got angry. So like, you know, yeah. I mean, anything can happen on regional, on your regional weekend, Eric. So there's my long winded take on that in terms of Preston green. Um, I think he's one of the best in the sport. Uh, I know Eric and I, one of our very few disagreements is on the merits of whether Preston green is one of the best in the sport. Um, I hope the Duke Warner stays. I can't imagine Florida basketball without the Duke. Uh, so I hope that if if they are making a strength and conditioning change, I hope that they keep Dave Warner. That's my only real take on that.
1: Uh, yeah, and again, it's, it's something that like I just was a little like – it kind of like piqued my interest and had me going 15 seconds back on the podcast to listen to it again, just cause I know he said it in passing, but um, yeah. And, and I think you tweeted out something that I totally agreed with in terms of expectations about like, what does it mean to be like, you know, in the mix for second weekend. And it's like, you know, pretty functionally, it should be like, if you're, you're playing in a round of 32 game as like probably the favorite and if not, you know, pretty close. Right. We saw even last year where the Gators are, you know, in a round of 32 game where, you know, they, it, it it didn't even like never, never even totally felt like they were in control of of that one. So uh, like, that's one of those things where like that, that, that's probably not quite it. It's like, yeah, it should be going into those, you know, round of 32 games, um, feeling fairly confident um, and uh, looking at college basketball this year in the tournament. It's like, yeah, it's like, Hey, this is a team that Florida scrimmaged and played pretty close in, in North Carolina. This, I mean, we'll also point out that like, for a lot of the season it was like florida's on the bubble right next to florida on the bubble is michigan who also made the ncaa tournament and looked solid and north carolina who was thought to be further off the bubble than florida was for much of the season so it just kind of shows like if the gators were you know had their stuff together just a little bit more just had the opportunity to to get there to show to to have a seat at the table um you know, maybe we're still talking that that's a little bit ridiculous to say, but I guess they, Hey, there is a chance that maybe we're still talking about them at this point of the season. Um, I mean, North Carolina didn't have a
0: quad one win until February the 22nd. Oh my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. February 19th. Still. Still.
1: Um, yeah. (laughs) So anyways, I do think that it was interesting to hear like Todd Golden say like expectations that were like almost exactly what you said, Neil. Um, and it's, expectations that I completely agree with. So um, to hear him not running from, I mean, it's also, let's remember, he's also the guy who joked about how he had a, you know, how was him and his wife always wanted to be at a place with a $10 million buyout. So it's a little bit easier to, uh, to say like, oh yeah, we totally know we should be making sweet 16s. And if, you know, in three years, you don't think I'm the guy who can do that, then, you know, you should start calling for my head. Like Um, you know, the $10 million buyout and the fact that he's like can joke about that and also be very open with the expectations and that he thinks he should be recruiting NBA players and um, hanging banners. Um, You know, I've got to say, I'm eating it up, Neil. I'm liking what we're hearing from from the head coach.
0: Yeah, it's good. Big offensive coordinator hire on the horizon, but we'll get into all that um, when it happens. Next show will be seniors eligible to return as we continue your review and then any updates to other stuff we have, I'll let Eric sign us off. Go Gators and keep attacking
1: closeouts.